This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. This program is sponsored by New Zealand Bridge, sponsors of Grassroots Bridge across the nation. Welcome to the Bridge Zone. You're at the table with Barry and Mariana. It's an interesting week so far, and as you can see, we're in lockdown and recording from home. So this is a new venture for Barry and myself, plus our friends. Barry has some information about the Fullerton teams trying to get the info as to why it's called that. Yeah, I'm just glad that this is audio only because I haven't had a shave since Tuesday. (laughs) What about a shower? (laughs) (laughs) Let's not go there. We'll move on to the Fullerton teams. Murray Fitzsimons, I must apologise to Murray. I knew she would have done it. Apparently she did email me before last week's show and I went into my spam folder, Mariana. I tell you what, the spam filter has no idea. Imagine putting that in the spam filter. Something as important as this. (laughs) Well, shows how often you check your folders, doesn't it, Mr. Jones? It does. Well, I get a lot of junk in my folders. Somebody left me ten and a half million and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Prove your ID. <laughs> yeah, how about yeah, that? Yeah, that's right. All I've got to do is send them my bank account number and I get ten and a half million. Somebody called Jones died and they left me the money. Oh, bless. Lovely email from Mari. And she got some information via Colin Carrier about John Fullerton who the Fullerton teams is named after. Apparently he played in the 1950s, 60s and 70s. He really enjoyed playing bridge as a member of the New Plymouth Bridge Club and for many years on the CD Regional Committee. He was also the editor of the Taranaki Herald, Mariana. Holy! He taught bridge and Colin Carrier went to his lessons in 1976. 76? Can you remember where you were in 76? <laughs> 76? Oh my goodness! Only enough. 1976, I would have been going to school in Taranaki, but not New Plymouth. It would have been at Harwara High. Colin has been trying without success to win the Fullerton ever since. He remembers John Fullerton as one of those players of that era who could not bid or play without a cigarette in their hand. Sometimes in forgetful moments, he'd have one in his mouth being lit up with another one or two still half smoke sitting in the ashtray. Was that the good old days, Mariana? I'm not so sure. (laughs) His wife, Molly, gave a cup and asked that a team's tournament be named after him. Very good. Also got a, a little email from Colin. He said there are still a few of us around who went to his lessons and can remember him. I was actually reading in stuff and Gisborne had celebrated their 60 years this year and their newspaper article down that way also commented on smoking in the room and how it was a haze. And then it went to restricted to this area and then to another area and now completely banished. How times have changed. When I started playing, everybody used to smoke. You used to go home from bridge and your clothes would absolutely stink of smoke. And then they, the government introduced something and it was called Smoke Free New Zealand. And they used to sponsor things like bridge tournaments yep. on the condition that there was no smoking there. And then not long after that, smoking gradually just went away. And, and now I would absolutely hate it. I can't imagine playing with a whole lot of smokers smoking in the room. 
Hey, I've got a little tidbit. I was speaking to my brother-in-law yesterday. He's down in Wellington. Him and his partner were up in Stratford helping clean out Gabriel's mum's and dad's old stuff. And they came across... Who's Gabriel? My sister-in-law. And they came across this Bora-Blimmin-ridden cabinet. And so they opened it up and there was all these books in there. And he was a phys ed teacher and they had rugby books, netball books, everything. And guess what? They found a how to play bridge book. <laughs> how old was it? Very old. They've kept it. And the next time I'm in Wellington, or if we get some courier service, they're going to send it to me. And she says, they've got all these little notes. And they're like, oh, that bloody Hamiltonian would love this book. So they've kept it for me. Yes, Gabrielle said her dad learnt to play bridge at some stage when they were travelling. <laughs> it's very, very old, he said. <laughs> it's hard to explain to non-bridge players that those books are probably hopelessly out of date and really of not much interest anymore. But anyway, they don't know that. No. <laughs> they probably think bridge is the same now as it was in 1968. Of course it isn't. Well, Bruce, actually, he gets the the listener every week and there's a little bridge quiz in there and he rips the page out and he has a pile. So the book is on my pile. So every time I see him, I get about that much for these ripped pages out of his booklet and we go through the bridge quizzes. I might stump some of the listeners with one of them one day. Who writes that, Mariana? I don't know. I'll have to have a look. It is really good that they still have that in the listener because most bridge columns have long gone from New Zealand newspapers and magazines. It's still there every week, so it would be interesting. Maybe we could track that person down. Let's hope they keep on doing it. All right, let's go and get one of our guests today. Get your gumboots on. We're going down to the pond. What's this? It's Kermit's Bridge Tips with Pam Livingston. Good morning, Kermit. How are you? You're well. We can actually see you on screen this morning. It's an added bonus. That's a bit frightening, isn't it? (laughs) You've been locked up all morning, so I'm expecting a really good tip this morning. Right, and haven't you heard of the the student assignment phenomena? When you've got a deadline, you achieve that deadline approximately 30 seconds before it's due. (laughs) The tip this week is when considering a minor contract, just be a little bit reticent about adding distribution points. When we are deciding which denomination that we're going to play in, our priorities tend to be that we'll play in a major, our second choice is to play in no trumps, and our very last choice is to play in a minor. Now, when you and your partner are having your conversation via your bidding about what you're going to rest in, you need to be a little bit reticent about early on about adding distribution points in a minor because both of you are wanting to aim towards no trumps if you can. Now if you do rest in no trumps those distribution points they don't pull their weight because you're not playing in a trump contract. So a little bit of reticence when negotiating over minor and no trumps about those distribution points. Okay, so we could count all our distribution points, all our high card points, and we could have 30 of them, and the opponents might still have three aces to cash. Is that what you're saying? 
Yes, well, <laughs> it's kind of fine if at some point in the auction you decide that you're going to play in a minor. You know, like you might be looking at a minor slam and those distribution points pull their weight then. But if it goes something like one of a minor, two of a minor, you're still thinking about no trumps and those distribution points are no good for that. Obviously, a long suit's always handy and no trumps, but you've got to stop all the others too. Yes, that's right. Your two points or whatever for your singleton that you've added to your total point count is not an advantage in a no-trump contract. Okay, somebody told me once that when you're considering playing five of a minor, just remember, you're only one trick away from slam. Mmm, yes, well, that's right. Plan something else. Thank you, Pam. Catch Kermit next week for another tip. See you. Una, una. Coming up next, we're heading off to the courthouse. Director, please. How can I help? Judge Julie presiding. Hi, Judge Julie. I can actually see you today. <laughs> Aren't you lucky? Okay, I'll talk to you about smoking or smokers. We've just been playing in the Fullerton teams, and John Fullerton used to be a heavy smoker back in the day when lots of bridge players were. But there's still some of them surviving, Julie. And they leave the room, or maybe they go to have a vape, or maybe they just go to the loo. What problems does that create for the director when you have players leaving the room and maybe being late coming back? How do you handle all this? Yes, all sorts of things can and have happened. The level of the event often has got regulations around what you can and can't do. The problem when people leave the room, generally it's okay in the middle of a match or in pairs because everybody knows not to talk about the hands. In general, the other people that have left the room know not to talk about the hands. And in all fairness, it's not even in their interest because helping somebody that's outside do better makes your score worse. So there's not normally any issues about talking about the hands outside. There are times where it becomes more of an issue, and that is at the end of a session when people have finished play and other people are still playing, particularly in teams events or multiple boards like Swiss Pairs, where somebody might go outside and other people have finished, so they don't realise that the people outside are still in play. And often there's a rule about not leaving the room with a certain amount of time left in the match. And that prevents that occurring. Most people are well behaved. When you overhear something you're not meant to overhear, you have to let the director know. When we ran trials, we used to have to escort people and you weren't allowed to go outside for a cigarette. I've got a question for you, Judge Julie. Something that popped up last week, actually. The rumour is that yourself and Patrick had written a book. I was just wondering if you could just give us some insight about that book. Quite a few years ago, we were asked to write up something regarding the movements that Patrick uses for Bridge. So I wrote Patrick's Bridge Movements by Julie, an interesting title. And I must say, Claire Woodhull proofread it and is absolutely incredible because she doesn't even know the movements and she did an amazing job, which really, really helped us. That was simply to get the movements that we use frequently out and they're all on the New Zealand Bridge Scorer and if anyone's using Comp Score, we have the ability to send them. They're probably outdated somewhat. Patrick uses a whole raft of new stuff now and so we probably could add in about another 100 movements I think. So, Because <laughs> we did, we but, were talking about scorers weren't we Barry? Someone was asking whether or not there was a list 
that could be made available. And I remember that I stumbled across this book that you two had written. There used to be a link on both Bridge New Zealand and the New Zealand Bridge sites. I'm not too certain if it where it is now, but certainly if you Google, you can still find it. So I pretty certain we called it Patrick's Movements by Julie or Patrick's Bridge Movements by Julie. So if you Google us, I'm sure something will come up. Let's head off to our next guest, Barry, and have a chat to the chair of New Zealand Bridge, Alan Morris, see what he's got in store for us bridges in the country. Probably got 14,000 bridge players trapped into listening to you for the next 10 minutes. Well, 13,800 anyway. Thank you. It's a pleasure, as always. Where to start? I think we have a responsibility to be very cautious and careful. Early evidence is that this particular strain, the Delta strain, is virulent, and we've just seen how quickly it moves. And so we are being awfully cautious. Our demographic is, of course, exposed. But I think the thing that surprised me more than anything is how quickly this thing has moved and the number of places of interest and how young people are different to what we are. I mean, they are very mobile. They're out and about. And if we don't be cautious, this thing could spread into our community. Grandkids, it's just so simple. So we continue to offer advisories. With regret, we are having to cancel the national teams in Invercargill, which is the second time we've done that, which really hurts because of the hard work that goes into making these things happen at a local and at a national level. But in reality, very little choice. Even if the South Island was back to level one, next Wednesday, the likelihood of Auckland being in that position, and maybe even Wellington, I think is remote. And you can't run a national event if it's not a national participation. So the regional committee down there have been very supportive, very understanding, and fingers crossed that third time lucky. So that's what we're doing in terms of recent events. And we're running that nationally we're cancelling events and notifying people fingers crossed we can get back to bridge relatively soon i hope that is the case i dread the thought of congress being up in the air we're i think a few weeks away from that but it will come upon us pretty quickly so that's quite a scary thought for the amount of work again that goes into running these things and it's a new venue and it's an exciting opportunity I applaud the government and I hope they're doing the right things and that people are heeding the advice and we'll get through this thing a hell of a lot quicker than what's happening in Australia and particularly New South Wales and now Victoria and maybe elsewhere. When do you think um, you might have to make a decision about Congress? I mean, you probably don't want to think about that. How long can you you wait? Last time with Carapiro, we were probably, I think we kind of left it as late as possible. It might have been eight or nine days out. We're very fortunate that if we are in lockdown, we don't have obligations to Bay Park. We have cancellation provisions without penalty. That in itself is quite good. Yes, we'll incur some costs as you do when you're preparing these things, but we'll leave it as late as we can within reason. We know we're not getting Aussies coming. They have started to pull out when the bubble came into being and we've been making refunds to them. It's sad in a way, but maybe uh, next year will be a new opportunity. 
So that's what's happening on the local front with events. But the Hamilton Swiss Piers is scheduled for the first weekend in September. Does NZ Bridge just cancel that or does Hamilton? It's up to the Hamilton Bridge Club to make that decision. It's a local event. It's not a national event. But we will help them facilitate that happening if that's the decision they take. I would strongly advocate that we cannot play this game until we're at level one. It would be almost impossible for that to be happening by... We know last time clubs opened up under level two. That wouldn't have been our advice. They're independent organisations and all we can do is put out advisories. This time, however, this particular variant is so virulent I think it would be very irresponsible to even think about opening up unless we're at level one. You can't do it at level two. You're in too much close proximity. It's very contagious. It would spread so quickly. We just cannot, we cannot even contemplate, I think, people coming together in that vein. Yeah, I think oh, that's, it's a sobering thought, but Gee whiz, and the scale of things, it's not the end of the world. I'm grateful for those who stepped up so quickly and we're back to playing online. And at least for those who want to participate and play online, that's available. I just ask, as we have done in the past, that people play with integrity and enjoy the game. But we have to realise it's a very small percentage of the total membership that participate online. But a good what? news, I see NZ Bridge have managed to slot the uh, the Wellington regional teams in just before Christmas. Yeah, we have. And thank you to Wellington. It's very late in the year. It's the 18th, 19th of December. I hope people will take advantage of that just before Christmas. We know how, how busy it is. I mean, I hope we're out of lockdown very, very shortly. And I hope it succeeds for them. I really do. And I hope that they get good participation. Last time's any indication when we came out of lockdown, people couldn't wait to. I think that's true. I mean, participation's up. That's a positive. Some people are enjoying their bridge at club level. They're enjoying their bridge at tournament level. And we've seen over the last three or four months a significant surge in new members. So our membership is up from a low of about 12,800 or so as a consequence of COVID and not running lessons and things like that. So in the last three months, four months, uh, membership's up over 800 and we're now sitting at about 13,800, an increase of about 1,000 in the last 12 months, which I think is a good sign and the amount of work being done at a club level to get people into lessons and hopefully get them to stick with the game. 7% increase, is it, or something yep, like that? Yeah, that's right, okay. which is good. It's pretty close to 8%. We're faring really well against other countries who you know, haven't had face-to-face bridge to the level that we've had, who have suffered huge losses in membership, the ABF, the ACBL. They're all got challenges. We all have got that. We're very, very fortunate in that regard. Also, the online bridge, I know it's not all of our members. It's been free in New Zealand. Lots of other countries have been charging for it. Maybe NZ Bridge not too thrilled about it, and it's great for the membership to be able to do that. You know, there's two ways you look at it. You either say, look, we'll run this as a free event and there are no master points on hand, 
or you could do what our friends do across the ditch. You pay for it and they're issuing master points or their equivalent. We met with the ABF last Sunday. We're now meeting with them every quarter, mainly to share just things of common interest, what's happening. Two minds are better than one in terms of what we're doing. We obviously talk about uh, the WBF and the international program. Ben Thompson, who is chair of Zone 7 and is on the WBF, attends. Information is now being shared with us, which is positive. It was sometimes very difficult to know what was going on, and it was very difficult to express a view, whereas now at least we have the opportunity of putting our point of view and both Australia and ourselves are of like mind. So the international program for next year, which is March, April for the World Championships in Italy, we're discussing the merits of that, obviously, and the current situation. The issue that we want to put on the table is if our players don't go or don't want to go, we don't want to lose the positions that are reserved for Zone 7, which is principally Australia and New Zealand, and a few of the islands, has two spots. And we look at those with great pride that we can participate in these events. If we don't, then they automatically go, I think, first to Europe, then to America, and then back to Europe. And there is the prospect that we might not be able to travel next year, because of any variety of reasons, lockdown, MIQ arrangements, no insurance, the cost of travel, players electing that they don't want to do that because of the risk factors. So we are making inquiry that in the event, and I'll call it a sort of force majeure type of arrangement, that our placings would not be prejudiced in subsequent years. Hopefully, uh, the WBF kind of sees that. I know Ben does. He's very supportive of that. We're working our way through that. We are looking at running another online international as a tri-series this time with Australia, and we're going to invite Indonesia to participate. We've got to get people in the right time zone, and we will probably look to increase the number of teams. So instead of having one team for each category, we would have two teams, two open, two women, two mixed, two youth. That's a bit difficult. So we might have a composite youth team with Australia. That's just giving more players the opportunity and experience and allowing us to kind of look at performance if and when we are travelling either next year or beyond. So there's quite a lot going on. Yes. The WBF um, wouldn't consider, if the World Championships can't happen next year, they've, they've doesn't seem like they've given any consideration to any sort of online event. Oh, no, I think to the contrary, Barry, I think they are thinking about it. I mean, logistically, it's very, very difficult. Imagine. Uh, just time zones, observers, in terms of ensuring the integrity of the event, the platform you use. That's why we, in part, they were very interested in the trial that we did with Australia, which on balance was pretty successful. There are other countries playing using different platforms, but I think logistically, it's not that simple. I know you're aware, Alan, we've got Hugh McGann living in Hamilton and, and playing for Ireland in the European Zone event coming up in a week or so. 
And he's playing from eight o'clock at night till five o'clock in the morning or something. Bit of a bit of a big ask. Yeah, it is. And we're very supportive to try and help that happen. The European trials are online, so they actually have gone to an online trial platform. They have very stringent observer status in terms of what happens. He's playing, I think it runs from eight o'clock till about four or five in the morning for six days, their trials. Okay, it's a week of trials. He's taken a week to leave. And he is a pretty busy man right at the moment. As you know, he's in um, infectious diseases. That's what he does at the Waikato DHB. So he's had to take a week's leave. We've had to put in place an appropriate observer. Uh, That hit a roadblock uh, with lockdown because the observer that was approved cannot travel. And so we have a new observer in Hamilton and the EBL have approved that under a force majeure type of arrangement was beyond control. But that observer is there representing the EBL, not representing the Irish Bridge Union and not favouring Hugh McGahn in any form whatsoever. It's stringent stuff. He's not allowed any devices. To the extent that the bathrooms have to be checked, that there is an uh, internet linkage that he could access uh, during the course of the trial. So six days of it. Good luck to him. Hey, the good news is he gets a lunch break, Alan. The bad news is I think it's three in the morning. Three o'clock in the morning, that's right. And it's six days. I mean, it's pretty intense stuff. And that's just to hope that Ireland qualifies i think they have eight slots in europe so it's pretty tough in there when i was in um the last world champs in china and i was talking to one of the captains of the irish team they might get there every three or four years if they're lucky and they look at us and how privileged we are that we've effectively in inverted commas got an automatic spot we're very lucky to be had this and there's 31 countries involved, Mariana, and a lot of those countries pretty strong. They had a little bit of a sort of a poll on bridge winners the other day, Alan, as to what eight teams might make it. Pretty big ask for Ireland to make it. Mm. It sure is. Well, Hugh yeah. did mention that on a good day, top 10, he said on an extremely good day, a small chance for top eight. He said they've got a chance. And that's a really good point. When you look at our open team and how they've performed over the last two events, fourth in Lyon, eighth or ninth in Wuhan. It's really, really good. And we probably don't celebrate that sort of performance enough. It is tough out there. (laughs) It really is. And we're amateurs. (laughs) And we're playing against professionals who have coaches and training and our people lead ordinary lives. Well, the Irish team, from what Hugh was telling me, they've got one full-time professional. The rest of them are all are all working for a living. So they've got the same issues as we have. Good luck to them. And so if anybody wants to look at it, it's, it'll be on Real Bridge. There's a, what is it, a 45-minute time delay? Wouldn't normally look at it, but seeing as you're all locked up, <laughs> if you want to do something in the middle of the night, you can watch Hugh McGahn battling it out with those other 30 European countries. Oh, I think it would be good to watch when you're wide awake and you can't sleep and which have slept all day, Barry. (laughs) And thank you to that observer from Hamilton that's volunteered to do this. Wow, what a big commitment. It is a huge commitment. Yeah, a shout out to that observer. Enjoy the rest of your lockdown. And thank you for taking some time out of your busy day. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, very busy today. Thanks for that. Catch the next one. 
Okay, keep well, guys. New Zealand Bridge, sponsoring Bridge from beginner to international, nationwide. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.